Good morning, LBC Radio. This is Corey Rosen with the Story Podcast today. Today I have on a special guest, but before we get into that, I have some merchandise for sale. We have these really cool stickers with the logo on it, and we also have some awesome hoodies coming out with the logo on the front and the first 50 guests on the back. So if you really support what I do and would like to support and uh, help me expand the business, be sure to message me on Facebook or Instagram and see if you want to get a hoodie. Today, I have on a really cool dude. His name is DJ Mast. DJ Mast Productions is a central PA DJ and lighting production company local to the Lancaster PA region. They are about you and your event. DJ Mast Productions is focused on emphasizing our clients through creating custom DJ MC services lighting, and visual effects for each event, making lifelong impressions for their clients and their guests. Specializing in professional entertainment that facilitates relationship, quality social atmospheres, and high-end dance party experiences. They deliver professionalism and organization while bringing passion, energy, and genuine respect for their clients and guests in each performance. Make your event memories vivid through DJ Mass Productions. You can find them on Facebook.com forward slash DJ Mast Productions, on Instagram, DJ Mast Productions as well, or you can go to their website, which is, guess what, DJMast.com. And if you, you type in DJ Mast Productions, that one's gotten it as well. Th- that's what that's I thought great. it was going to be. It is DJMast.com, but if you type, I have both websites, but it's easier to tell people DJMast.com than telling them to type in Productions as mm. well. Well, how are you doing today? Doing well, Corey. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> Listening through that, I'm like, I should have just given you an elevator pitch because I'm over here just staring. <laughs> well, uh, so what got you inspired to, to go into DJing? Uh, was it uh, a DJ that you grew up listening to? Was it some albums? Or was it just going to a wedding and being like, this is a really awesome time? What was it? So, well, I was a drummer in a touring band prior to college. Um, I went to Penn State. Graduated from Penn State, and but while I was at Penn State, I started picking up DJing. I quit the band. Uh, the band members were not trying to go full-time with things um, in the same way that I was looking to do it, and effort-wise, the amount of time away from home and all that. Um, and so for me, it was like, okay, well, it, it's my next step. And at the time, I was graduating high school, and then in between high school and deciding, all right, this is, uh, it's either college or it's band for me. Uh, it wasn't the band, and so I started going to um, Penn State Berks, which is you know satellite campus. Mm-hmm. Was commuting there, and then I went to Penn State Maine for the last two years. And my junior senior year started um, just having an interest, more of an interest in electronic music, um, and just having fun with it. And so I was just doing friends parties and stuff like that. Um, but I actually really cared about the music that was being played, the the crowd itself and how the crowd was reacting. I've always been somebody who likes to bring people together. Mm. Um, And so music and dancing bring people together in a way that pretty much no other experience does. And so that was like an interest of mine. And I was chatting with another, um, there was a spot called Kildare's up in State College. And they wanted to do, and Kildare's is in like Manyunk and Westchester as well. And they have another location, I forget where that one's at. Um, but they really do the whole Irish pub thing during the day, and then they want to have a club during the night. And so they wanted to do that in State College. They had another DJ. I had gone in for some wings with my friends the one night and saw the DJ, and I was like, I should just chat with the manager <laughs> and see if I can fit in somewhere. So I was like, hey, if you, uh, yeah, if you have any available time, if this guy calls off, if he needs a vacation or whatever, I'll give you a, uh, a free day to preview, see how things go. Um, and longer story short, essentially they ended up calling me back in and said, Hey, we want you three nights a week. So that wow. gave me, I, I ended up replacing the other DJ that gave me a residency at Kildare's and state college. And so I was there every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, while I'm doing a full, you know, a full student schedule as well. And I was taking a bunch of credits as well, but it was, it was perfect. It was awesome. And it gave me a ton of experience right off the bat too. So what is a lot of the learning curve to DJing? What like exactly what goes into making a good DJ? Making a good DJ does depend on the industry that you're actually looking right. at. So wedding DJs, special event DJs, if you will, um, and producer DJs, and then club DJs, you're really talking about, uh, I would say more producer DJs and club DJs can have a similar personality, if you will, 
because um, you're hired more so for the music specifically. But like club DJs, if you don't have an MC, you've got to get the energy out to the crowd. And so you can't just be quiet on the microphone and you can't be, yeah, you can't be off the mic the entire time because sometimes it takes encouragement to get people on the dance floor or to direct people. And then to a higher degree, that whole like personability and what you're capable of doing over the microphone is also uh, then more important for special event DJs because you're really facilitating the event. You're emceeing not just the energy for the group dancing. You're not just showing up for the dance party and just throwing a party. You're also doing introductions. You're doing all the special events throughout the reception. You're letting people know where restrooms are, mm-hmm. what to expect next, what to do. Um, and creating expectations for crowds is literally the pretty much the best thing that you can do to create a successful event. Um, creating those yeah, expectations are really where um, if you don't do that ahead of time, crowds can become sort of their own. They'll just look out for their own interests. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of say like sometimes guests are selfish, right? Like they're just like, hey, I'm here at this wedding. Like what's going on? I have no idea what's going on. Okay, let's go and check this out. Let's walk the grounds. Let's let's go to the bar. Right. But if there's going to be something that's there and about to happen, you don't want the crowd starting to get up, walking around when there's about to be maybe a special dance or yep. cake cutting or something like that during a wedding. Yeah, uh, doing the DJ uh, wedding DJ, uh, I didn't realize how – instrumental the dj is to the entire wedding wedding process so you're pretty much the director of the wedding at that point um because you are the person with the microphone and you're like okay uh there's cocktail hour and then we'll be up for dinner at this time so if you want to go to there if there's bathrooms over here by the way that was the cake cutting now the introductions it really shocked me how in control of the wedding the DJ has to be yeah. in order for it to be like a, a successful, decent wedding. Not only just the music, but just uh, just the entire wedding as a process. Yeah. The musical side of things is, to me, sort of like a standard, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a producer DJ, you're going to spend more time in your studio creating music, and then you would go out and you would DJ your sets. You might incorporate other tracks if you don't have an entire, you know, library of your own tracks that you can play. Um, but then for your club DJs, again, mixing seamlessly, giving a good energy growth throughout the night, um, reading the crowd and understanding the crowd mm. too, how they're interacting. You know, for me as an event DJ, I get to see that crowd a little early on. So I get to see how they're interacting during cocktail hour, how they're interacting during the meal time. So I can see, you know, what's their what's the general decibel level of conversation? I'm not actually out there with a decibel reader, but like how right. loud are they talking? How energetic are they? Are they intermingling between tables um, and stuff like that? So I can see how cohesive that crowd is. When you're at a club, you and if you've been at that club for a little while, you start to understand in a deeper way the actual clientele that that club is bringing in or the mm-hmm. restaurant or whatever you're doing. Um, and so once you start to understand the people that they want to be there, then you also know what kind of music to play and also how to treat that crowd. Because if you play the wrong music, then a different crowd's going to show up. That's right. So you have to, yeah, you have to cater that. So everybody has their own unique preferences, special events. They have their own preferences between, say, it's a bride and groom or a corporate client. Um, They have a vision. When it comes to actual clubs and stuff like that, you have a type of clientele that they want to bring in. Restaurants are even a little bit more, you know, honed in because Mm -hmm. they they have people who want to eat their type of food. Um, And so you want to bring those people in. And then if you're going to turn a restaurant into a club, you know, you have to get that transition happening. So what is it like to have to mix songs? Do you have to beat match? What does that mean? Uh, do you have to manipulate different songs? Do you like to use effects on your songs? Or what, like that kind of stuff. What is? Because some people might say like at the high school dance, the DJ is pretty much there just playing one song after another, after another, after another, without much of interaction. What is it like to be a professional DJ to keep the crowd going, to interact with the crowd? So, you know, being a professional DJ, interacting with the crowd, um, and when you're talking about, you know, how do you transition music, Mm -hmm. it really depends on the outgoing track and the incoming track and how I choose to mix that. Choosing natural transition points in the song is also something that's, like, super helpful to give really a truly natural feel to the transition. 
um, without playing the start to the end of the song. Some songs might warrant it, especially at a special event where the entire crowd specifically might be singing out the entire song. You might play that for a classic or something like that, but normally I'm actually going from one song to the next seamlessly where there's no real transition between uh, that you can typically hear or that you're immediately recognizing. Mm -hmm. It's to take that energy and to continue it directly into the next song. So bringing in a snippet. So whether I'm like looping something in, whether I'm drumming it in with a pad, so I like actually have a certain beat in the song that I actually want to drum in along with the previous song, um, you can match tempo that way and bring in something that's just a few BPM off or mm -hmm. a few percentage off um, in general BPM. Um, but normally, yeah, if I'm, if I'm trying to bring that energy growth, the BPM also matters with the energy. And so usually I'm moving, it's a, it's a slow wave of BPM change, but it could be quicker changes of songs. Gotcha. So I'll, you know, if one song's ready, you know, if the crowd's ready for one song to move out, if it's overly repetitive or whatever it is, you know, I'll play, you know, the heavy hitting portion of that song, but I don't want to overplay that song. Um, and then, you know, I'll transition out of that. But if somebody comes up and says, hey, I want something that's like, say I'm playing, you know, 128 BPM at the higher energy of the point of the night, more newer stuff is, mm -hmm. you know, in that realm, especially remix stuff. Um, and they want something that's like 100 BPM. Um, if it were something down in, you know, 64 BPM, that's literally a half, you know, a yeah. half time signature. So it already matches. Um, you're just not getting as many hits in there, but you can easily make that happen. Um, and so that 100 BPM would be a totally different vibe. 100, 105, you know, and that's where a lot of like Latin music falls in too. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so just kind of recognizing where those BPMs are, you know, my software analyzes that, even iTunes analyzes the BPM of the track once you've listened to it once. Um, and so you can kind of organize things. Okay, this is what I'm looking at that the client had requested. Um, so if the client had a specific, you know, set of music that they wanted requested, I ask for specific songs for group dancing, I ask for genres they like to dance to, genres they want to avoid, and songs that might be in the genres they want, but genre, like songs specifically in the genres they want that they don't want played. Whether they've, you know, heard it overplayed, whether they have another specific reason not to play that song, those are there. And so then I'll take those and I'll place those into my own categories to help me understand immediately in each group or each playlist or each crate um, for, you know, for DJ applications, I put those in based on like classics, millennial classics, you know, what I would consider if I were straight at a club, like what would be my starter level of energy, then build and then the high energy. Um, some brides and grooms don't get into what I would consider like the high energy level, Right. Um, where you could get into some harder dance stuff and things like that, where the remixes are much heavier, um, depending on the crowd. Mm -hmm. They're into it, depending on the crowd, they're not into it. And so, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of them will get up into the the poppy remix stuff. Um, millennial remixes, millennial stuff is what I'm calling millennial classics. I, I kind of categorize anything. Like millennial classics are like from like the early 2000s, maybe late 90s, early, you know, to the, the mid 2008, nine up to 2010-ish, um, but then pretty much from 2010 and a little earlier till 2015, I consider like millennial newer classics. Gotcha. Um, and that's just because there was a lot of music that came out in that time and it's been so integral in like the club scene. And so, um, you know, even the newer club scene is still seeing like a resurgence of those millennial classics, if you will. It's, it's really funny. Um, I've seen so many memes of like millennials when when they were at the clubs, oh this is my jam and now that they're in like their their thirties at the grocery store, oh these are my jams and then it is slowly as they grow older and older they're getting to more older people places and they're like, Oh, this is my jam, they're playing my jam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean people are yeah, people are wanting to hear that stuff now and it just depends on uh Depends on the crowd and, you know, the new stuff that's coming out, too. Some of it's more singable for those who are listening to it. Um, it's a little less danceable. Um, so, yes, you can jump up and down to it, but screaming out and jumping up and down to a single song or, you know, a series of songs can get a little old. So you kind of want that stuff to flow more. Um, and the millennial classics have kind of brought that back to it. Yeah, so you mentioned remixes. 
do you make your own remixes or is that something you're interested in is that something uh that you just kind of leave to other people and just take a part of so when i had started it was an interest like i thought you know producer dj and i wasn't sure where all of the energy went for a dj mm. so what do i put my energy into so for me specifically because i do special events um, and with how busy I am with special events, there's so much that I'm putting into performing those events, handling the clients, making the playlist per client, because every single one is different. I never mm -hmm. use the same playlist for any given client. And so um, the amount of time that I put into that is already pretty, I mean, I'm well over full-time hours. I'm usually doing... I'd say 45 to 56 hours Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then I still have to do all the admin stuff and run the business Monday through Thursday. Um, and uh, so putting my time and effort into, I can't produce enough music to do the remixes myself. I could do, say, you know, one remix a month or something like that mm -hmm. if I had wanted to put the time into it. Um, but then I'm really only producing one track at most a month. Um, and in this case, what I do is any given track, there's, say, 100 different remixes for. Oh, yeah. I choose my preference in what I feel is the most danceable versions that other DJs, other producer DJs have done. Um, and so with the record pools that I'm a part of as a DJ, um, they have some in-house DJs. And then you also have other DJs that just submit tracks uh, to these record pools. And so the remixes are going to... It's really, you know, it's also how you mix. You know, it's an art form. So the remixes are going to sound the way the DJ wants, the specific DJ wants their song to sound. Um, and some specific DJs, they make music for their specific area. Um, and it's going to have that vibe to it. And it might not apply to another area. Um, so for me, I've just been, part of my skill, my natural skill, is being able to hear music that the general public really likes. Mm. And so the remixes I choose will typically hit harder than the remixes, uh, than some of the other remixes that are available for that song. So I spend my time going down through. I'll, you know, I'll look at the top charts. I'll get those songs, you know, the originals, just in case somebody wants the original. But then I'll go down through all the different variations of those remixes, and I, I'll listen to like 15 seconds in, 30 seconds in, 45 seconds in. If it doesn't catch me, when I'm jumping into that song, I go right to the next because I've got other remixes to go through. If I don't like that song somewhere in there, because I'm going to hit it in all really, you know, in the start, I'm going to hit it in the middle. I'm going to hit it like somewhere a little further in the middle um, of the song. So I'm really going to hear what the remix is feeling. And if it catches my ear, then I'll listen to more of it. Um, but if, if I'm just like, nope, that's not going to work at all. Like, I don't like that vibe. It's either too strong um, or it's just too disruptive for the actual song. Mm. So remixes of songs, you can go a whole different direction than the original song went. Um, but a lot of times, at least in America, people like to recognize the music they're listening to and dancing to. Um, not in all areas, but in the special event world, they want to know the songs that they're hearing. So um, still being able to recognize the original song um, and the, you know, and how it musically continues. So even the remixes, like if it incorporates something or sort of natural with the original track, um, instead of completely just taking like an acapella track and then doing their own electronic music to it. So it's, it's taking those songs and it's just finding out which one to me sounds the best. Um, and, I've honestly been blessed with that because from the very beginning, that was what of that was what sort of set me aside or apart from a lot of the other DJs. One, it was the care of the client, focusing the music on what the client wants, and then two, taking that focus and finding songs that the crowd that they're going to have really wants. How do you determine what's danceable? What is danceable? Because uh, that's that's I imagine that's very subjective. It, it, well, it is subjective, and like I was saying, with the different different crowds you're playing for and the different areas you might be coming from, um, like Baltimore has like they're kind of like they have like a, a beat to their stuff, and it's like a faster like drum beat, and um, it's it's an underlying like do 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 you know, mm. 
don't don't make me sing this stuff. Um, right. But but um, yeah, so it's like you know if that's underneath of it, um, and the song it's just like adding too much energy. I say too much energy. It's just disruptive. So where it could, yeah, exactly. Like you could have, and then it's hard to throw the vocals in there. But then it ends up doing this like breakbeat type thing down in there too, and so then you have you have the original song that you're recognizing, and then it goes into its own portion of the song. Like, oh, this is my electronic section of the song, mm. where the original part of the song, or like the, you know, the song that I'm remixing into, it doesn't even fit in here, so I'm gonna do my own thing. Well, if that doesn't match you know, the original part of the song, um, to me, it's pretty disruptive for our general area. Um, and so I usually don't play that stuff unless it's like a Jersey or a Baltimore crowd, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. they're looking for that kind of thing in some cases. Um, and so songs like that, you know, usually for me, it's, it's stuff that, like I mentioned, brings in certain melodies and things like that, but changes those melodies, whether it be pitch, whether it be tempo, um, whether it just be breaking up the melody or even using snippets of mm -hmm. that melody and creating a new beat with the melody because it, it then keeps the same sounds. Um, and that's not all the songs that I'll do. Some of them are more energetic and stuff like that too. Um, but I try not to break it up too much. So what made you decide to create your own business and how does one create your own business with, uh, throughout DJing? So I had an interest to start a business or to actually run a business um, ever since I decided to go to college. And so I, I was going first for kinesiology because I was working out after high school and stuff like that. I'm a pretty skinny dude. If you're watching the video, don't even worry. I haven't worked out in years. Uh, I lift plenty of speakers over the weekends, and that's, right. that's <laughs> enough to keep me like <laughs> smaller. So um, yeah, as far as, uh, as far as deciding, I did have an interest myself to run a business or to own a business. And then when I graduated, I have a bachelor's of science in business marketing with a minor in labor studies and employee relations, which was to focus on, you know, labor law. It also, you know, it's kind of like a labor law minor, if you will. I could have gone into a labor law major with starting that minor if I wanted to put a couple more years in. Um, but that just gave me really the focus on how do you be a good employer? How do you handle employees? How do you handle a business? What's, you know, what's a general, um, what are good business practices, really? Mm -hmm. um, and so the business marketing side of things, that is on the statistics, excuse me, statistics side of things. Um, you're also looking into, like with the statistics, you're looking at demographics, you're understanding demographics, and that helps me as a DJ too, understanding mm -hmm. who I'm DJing crowd-wise for, um, the type of music they're going to want. So it's the client, and then it's also, after I've seen what the client wants, I look at their crowd and I, I decide in my head, like, is this going to work for the crowd? I still work their stuff in how I need to, but then all of the other areas that I fill in, I'm, you know, filling that in for the crowd. Because usually a bride and groom or a corporate client, if they want to have a dance party, they want the crowd to be on the dance floor. You know what I mean? Right. They want an active dance crowd. Um, and so you do that by reading the crowd. Um, and so, yeah, so I wanted to start a business. I was thinking I was going to maybe run uh, somebody else's business, manage it, uh, and let them kind of take a step back as an owner. And then I would be, you know, maybe working my way up to some level of ownership and stuff like that. Well, I started DJing in college. I, in order to pay things off a little quicker, bill-wise, you know, with college, um, I paid for it all myself, except for one semester that my parents paid for. And so I was just trying to work hard for um, just paying those bills off. So I had done construction prior to college. I did construction through college uh, in the summers. And then during you know the actual school year, my junior and senior year, I started DJing. And it was decent money for what I was doing. Um, and so then I was considering actually staying in state college and just DJing clubs the whole time in state college. Uh, full-time, but their summer budgets just die. So when a college leaves, especially a college that has 45,000 students in a right. town, you have 45, you know, there's there's a handful to stick around for maybe summer classes, internships, or something like that. Um, but the majority of those students are either going back home or going to other areas uh, of the world. So yeah. For those who don't know, State College is actually a town. Not it is just, a town, yeah. Not just a college, it's a town. That's why he's – people. I, I've always heard, I'm from State College, and I'm like, well, what does that mean? 
<laughs> yep. But it's a town. It's an actual town here in PA. So Penn State University, University Park, main campus is in State College. Right. It's very confusing, just as every college should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the, the, the budget didn't work out for like a full-time thing. And so I came back and I was working construction following college while I was DJing on the weekends. Um, and I actually did not necessarily expect DJing to go full time. It was good money on the weekends and I was putting all of my effort into it. Like, because I, I love what I do and I, I have a passion for it. Um, and so I just kept putting what I had into it. Um, I kept reinvesting in the company myself financially. Um, as I would make money, I would continue to grow the business, add more offerings and things like that. Well, I was working another job and, uh, my wife and I like, Specifically, we were we were ready to move away from that job, and the positions there didn't provide the type of management that I had wanted. Mm. And so the push kind of came from that job, and I was like, when is the first that I can like get out of that and just make it full-time DJing? And so I just went until I knew that financially that year we had you know the bills paid, and um, I knew from futures contracts, because I do special events, things are booked ahead of time. So I have stuff a year, two years in advance. And so I knew based on the futures contracts that I had, I was able to pay off the bills that I had. And I knew based on statistics that I was going to grow at a certain percentage that year. And like previous years, I would base that off of pre-year bookings. So for mm. instance, we're in 22, um, what I would gauge going off of 2020 to 2021 and comparing previous years to each other, what was the year's growth of pre-year booking? So what did I have booked for 2022 and 2021 already and compare that to the previous year? Is it higher than the previous year? And I had a consistent growth. 2020 threw a wrench in things, so right. we, we won't even talk about COVID. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, that year actually ended up being just fine as well. Um, but there was a lot of challenges along with it. Um, but we're out of that and we're moving pretty well into an open event market, which is like awesome. And the year has been incredibly busy um, and just keeping, you know, keeping diligent about, you know, I'm a clean person <laughs> as well. So like keeping keeping myself, if, if anybody's sick, keeping myself distance and safe and, you know, wearing masks if I feel like I need to, whatever. But that's just, uh, yeah. So what are some of the challenges that you didn't really expect or maybe that you should, you would want other people to be aware of when you create your own business. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of legal stuff you have to get in order. Um, it's like, are you an LLC or? Yeah, we're an LLC. Uh, we're considering going to an S corp just for tax filing purposes. Um, but an LLC separates you legally, personally from your business. Um, and so that they call it a corporate veil, if you will. And so deciding your business uh, and how you want to file your business. Um, is you know dependent on how much money you expect to make with that business because you know an LLC uh, is good for a portion of time and then if you're in an S corp there's better tax you know capabilities you're not mm -hmm. double paying your employment tax and or you're not paying as much of your employment tax because you can write yourself a certain salary if you will and then you can pay yourselves your dividends at the end of the year so. Once you know you're consistent and you can pay yourself a salary and live off the salary you're paying yourself, uh, then you can take those extra bonuses at the end of the year and you're not taxed on those, but you're taxed on what you pay yourself salary-wise, gotcha. um, employment tax-wise. And then your business still pays the taxes too. So a f <laughs> expect a 30% tax rate, How much? 33. How right? much does it cost in order to set up an LCC? So an LLC, um, you're going to pay a little bit more for an LLC if you're paying somebody to do it. You can also go on LegalZoom. This is not a plug for LegalZoom. I did not do that. This I did. is not legal advice, by the yes, way. Yes, this is not legal advice <laughs> what whatsoever. It's what I did. Uh, I did pay a lawyer to do mine. Um, and so you're looking somewhere in the $600 range to get a lawyer to create you an LLC. Um, some might be a little more. Some might be a little less, depending on who you find. But that, at least this was years back, so it might be more now. Right. Um, so that's just to create the LLC, and that is if you if you want to start a sole proprietorship, you can do that. It just depends on the amount of risk your business has. So if you're having conversations with people like we are right now in the studio, you know, uh, risk isn't that big. Yeah, yeah, the chances of one of these microphones taking somebody out is pretty low. Um, falling off the chair, there's a possibility there, but going after you uh, individually, you know, there's right, your, your risk is remediated to mm -hmm. a decent degree. 
if you're creating some type of art for somebody, your art is not really a risk to anybody. If they hang it poorly, you know, it's That's there. On them. It's on them. If you designed the frame and the frame fell off the wall, then it's like, then that could be yeah. on you. Um, so just depending on your business, a you know sole proprietorship is very simple, um, and an LLC is honestly very simple as well when it comes to taxes. Um, but a sole proprietorship is by far the easiest way to do taxes. Um, and then getting into the S corp, if you're an organized person, you can easily do that too. Like for me, it won't change anything that I'm doing filing on the back end. I, I actually use my own spreadsheet. I don't use QuickBooks. I don't use MileIQ. Everything because I'm just an organized person. I I find it actually more customizable and perfect for what I want to do to create my own spreadsheet. That's that's, that's good. Uh, at what point did you realize that you needed to create a sole proprietorship? Because I, I know it, the IRS will get you no matter what. Um, but it's hard to know at what point you need to, that maybe you need to create a business entity per se. So for me, I have always wanted to do things as legal and by the books as possible. Um, that's kind of who I am too as a person. But I also want to do things that financially benefit me the best mm -hmm. that I can. So that's why considering to switch to the S-Corp, at least filing as an S-Corp, going into next year. Um, as far as um, what you would choose to do and when you would choose to do it, there's usually some understanding. Businesses take time to start, yes. uh, and they take effort, they take money, they take owner, typically they, typically they take owner input, you know, uh, your, your initial investments um, in that, and so... During that time, there's understanding from the business, but you can always you can also backfile. So you can wait until you know the business is actually going to work. So like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to put some money into this. I'm going to do some things. You know, you start to make some revenue, and you're like, okay, the revenue's coming in. Start your business then. I mean, if sole proprietorship, I mean, you can start that so simply. You can file yourself so simply with that. It's under your own name, under your own uh, under your own social security number. Um, it's only once you create an LLC that you have an EIN, um, which is like a tax number. Okay. Um, and that's to separate the owner's social security numbers from the business's tax numbers. Um, I still incorporate that. Yeah. It, however you file that with the, you know, with the government, right. your accountant, or your, if you're doing your own research, you'll know how to file, you know, your estimates and stuff like that. I pay quarterly estimates, you know what I mean? Um, and so I'm paying out taxes four times a year. Some people are paying, you know, every paycheck. Every if you're paycheck, an employee, yeah. you're paying every paycheck. Um, and that's, again, still an estimate, but those are usually created at a high level of estimate. And so you're paying in typically more than you needed to pay in. And then by the time you get your write-offs and all of that, um, as an employee, and if you have children and all of that with your deductibles, then usually you get a tax return. But it's your money. It's right. your money you're getting back. And so as a business, you typically would pay in less um, so it's called like safe harboring for an LLC. You pay based off of what your income was last year and that's legal. So if you expect to grow a lot, maybe you want to start paying higher estimates than what your estimates would have been for last year at an mm. exact amount so that you don't have to pay in too much at the end of the year before the next tax season starts. So for instance, for me, you know, at like tax season, I don't know what it is. April fifteenth. It's April. Yes. Yeah. They moved. Uh, they, I think it's April fifteenth. They moved it uh, this year yeah. for for whatever reasons. I think it was because the weekend and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. But uh. Yeah. So if you're paying in at that point, you're like, okay, I still owe the government money after my my estimates. Well, then you have your first quarterly estimates coming in within like two weeks, three <sighs> weeks after that. So then you're paying what you owe the government, and then you're paying that. So you just have to budget for it. Um, and smaller businesses, that's where it's more challenging. Budgeting your money to pay your taxes. Um, you think you have all that money in your account. And if you think about 33%, in general, one-third of your income goes to taxes. That's quite a bit of money. And you can leave that in your bank account and think you have it, but it's really the, the government's if right. you have yet to pay that. Um, and so just understanding that I've always been a financial person. Um, personally, I considered going into either accounting or finance. Um, and so I took a few classes like that. But it's it was an interest, but it's not a passion. <laughs> so do you do all your budgeting for your own business? I do all my budgeting for my own business. I look at my bank accounts every single day. 
I literally, you know, my planning is future-based. So I think towards the future, it's not like, what do I need today? And then I just buy it. I think about what I need in the future. I save up for it or I purchase it when it's the right time. So if you have patience when you purchase things, you're going to buy things on sale. You just wait till Black Friday because you don't specifically need it, but it's your next step. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you can save hundreds, thousands of dollars by buying stuff on Black Friday, then then do it. Then do it. Yeah, it's uh, being smart with your money is key when you're trying to start a business because if you don't, if you go into a business expecting everything to be cheap, you're gonna you're gonna have a rude awakening. <laughs> so it's definitely uh, knowing when to buy stuff and knowing when to uh, invest in your own business. What at what point did you realize that your business was getting too big for just you and that you needed to bring on other people? So I am now currently down to myself. Uh, okay. In 2020, I did have three other DJs working for me uh, exclusively with DJ Master Productions. Some companies hire people um, as a subcontractor who also subcontract for other companies. So they're really hiring them as if a construction contractor were to mm-hmm. hire another plumber or another you know, carpenter or whatever. They're hiring DJs like that. But for me, my business, this stuff is front and center. So this isn't on the back end. It's not production only. So if I was doing lighting production, it's not hard to add another person to, you know, the crew that's going to go. It's like, hey, we need more hands to lift things, to install things. But all of that gets checked. All of it gets finalized and installed. Um, And so it doesn't really matter who's putting it in so long as you're okay with them putting it in and they're not going to break your gear. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you're hiring DJs, that's like a new CEO every DJ you hire. You're literally hiring the face of your company to go out because me, if I'm operating another event, it's not me who's at their event. They're the one who's there. They're the ones I'm seeing talking on the mic. They're the ones choosing the music. They're the ones working with the client. Um, And so every single one of those is extremely important. In 2020, all three of those got out of DJing just by coincidence within Mm. that year. The one got out of DJing just altogether. He retired from DJing. Then the other guy, he and his family paid off a bunch of bills. He has four kids with his wife, and they wanted some time, more time together because he was working another full-time job while also doing, you know, 45 events a year for me. Um, And so if you consider 52 weeks out of the year, you've got 52 weekends out of the year. He was working 45 out of those 52 weekends plus five days um, during the week. So he was working a lot with four kids. Um, What they did with us helped them to pay off some of those bills, which is awesome, And I was like, you know, I am all for family. And so I encouraged that. It was a total bummer to lose him. um, But it was awesome for him and to be a part of that step as well, to be able to get to that point. Um, And then the other DJ had another job as well. um, And he was working a decent number of weekends for me, but he got a remote allowance. This is all due to COVID and, and what COVID brought with a lot of corporate clients, or I shouldn't say corporate clients, but corporations, how they operated with, you know, work from home statuses and things like that. He was allowed for full remote allowance. And so him and his wife moved to South America on a U.S. budget and, uh, and worked for the company that he still works for now, um, down in South America. So all three of them got out of DJing, which brought it back down to myself, but my wife and I have two children and the stress of managing and running the business, sales and all of that, contract creation, because I still do all my admin stuff. I had not yet at that time hired somebody for admin stuff. And so the admin was still on me. I was still doing 100 events a year. They were doing you know, 45 or whatever it was themselves. Um, and so I was very busy. And mm-hmm. with two children now, two children are very different than one children. Anybody who has kids... They they know what it feels like to then have two people that you have to watch out for. Um, and um, and so, like, you know, just giving more time into their development. For me, life really honestly is about I want to work so that I can spend the time doing like I love what I do, which is awesome. So it feels less like work. But I also have other passions that I like to do. And I and family is a passion of mine as well. And so working is to provide for family. Mm. Um I would still DJ if I if I didn't need to make money doing it. I would still DJ, but I wouldn't DJ nearly as much as I am. Um, that's out of you know provision, and that's to work, um, and that's to grow the business and to continue being strong. And so my motivations are to grow the business, but it's also to provide for my family, and that is an emotional thing too. So the business needs to provide financially, 
and then provide enough time for me to provide emotionally for my family. Mm-hmm. And so um, wherever we're at, you know, and the family is going to change that a little bit too and how much I can put in. Right now, I'm still doing 100 events a year. Um, but at a certain point, maybe I'll take a month off or something like that to spend specific time with my family and to do, you know, to do a vacation, essentially just regroup, you know, re-energize and come back into it strong. I've never taken a vacation since I went full time. I, I say I've never, I've taken vacations, but I've never really set work entirely aside. Um, and I still can't really do that as an admin and as a business owner, but I can, I can lower my schedule during like a vacation time. Um, so yeah. So are you looking for more people? Is that so? Hey man, LBC, we are here. Uh, if it is the right fit for you to be a part of DJ Mast Productions, you can absolutely reach out. Um, contact at djmast.com is an email address you can utilize. You can even utilize our contact form if you forget that email address on our website, djmast.com. Feel free to reach out if Facebook for whatever reason is your preference. But I'd love to chat with you. Um, Right now, if we were to look for somebody, it would be somebody turnkey, if you will, somebody who I can train to be a DJ, MC, and set up all of their own gear. I say their own gear. We provide you the gear. We provide you the trailer, all of the resources that you need to succeed, um, but you are the one operating. You're the one setting it up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if that sounds like something you're interested in, I would be happy to chat with you and see if it's the right fit for you. Um, And then over time, we find if it's the right fit for us. Um, I really try to give true and pure expectations on what to expect availability wise, effort wise, amount of hours that you're putting in, not just like the physical effort you're putting in, but the amount of hours you'll put in per event and what to expect on sales meetings and things like that. Um, And I want to give you the ability to understand what you're getting into before we take a further step into it to make sure it's the, the same correct fit for both of us. Cool, man. So I'm curious, um, how do you, how did you ever set rates for yourself? That because that's something as musicians that we really need to pay attention to. Because if you lowball yourself, you're you're not going to get as much business. But if you highball yourself, you're still not going to get as much business. Because it's as a musician, knowing uh, I've had this conversation with so many people that if my rate is like twenty five per hour, people are going to be like, really, only twenty five? How good is he? Uh, how do you, how have you worked through that? How have you decided that? What goes into deciding that? So uh, understanding your market is really important to understand where your pricing should be. If you are just starting as a business, um, some people say like, know your worth, know your value, charge that right away. Um, but if you're trying to build clientele, if you're trying to build influence in your market, the more events you're DJing, the more people you see. So any given event that I'm any given event that I'm DJing in the special event industry, there's going to be a hundred on average 150 people per event. Um, so if I'm DJing 100 events a year, that's a hundred times 150. That's 15,000 people a year that I see just through you know interaction as a DJ. And so the more events you can do, the more you do get out there. I would say um, if you're playing bars. Or if you're playing, you know, however you're getting your live gigs. Um, If you're doing stuff for, you know, say, government-type events where they're doing, you know, maybe a public event in a park or something like that, um, or a food truck festival or something like that set up by a local ordinance or something like that, you know, that's a little different. Um, But if you're trying to get out there, you know, your rate is really what gets you in the door. And my first time I DJed, I literally told him, um, this is a tryout. If you like it. You know, let me know if you want to move forward and work more together. But I was willing to give them that for free. So Mm -hmm. it was one night to DJ for free. Now, I'm not saying like you go around and do, you know, all these, you know, restaurants for that um, for that type of scenario. But once you've gotten enough experience, you can at least reference that experience. You have knowledge of that and you're going to come in more professional. Once you're coming in more professional, you can charge more for professional services. Um, and so the way I've chosen my pricing, I started, and this kind of goes along with like, if you want to start a business, understand how you want to start the business. If you want to own a business and you want to start it and go full time right off the bat, you are probably going to need a decent pocket of change already to start. Yes. 
whether you're whether you have had that from your previous business or whether you take a business loan. If you're taking a business loan or had a previous business and you give that effort into it and you make it, awesome. If it's a loan, worst case scenario, that money you've put into things, um, you know, you're paying your interest on that and that's a cost. Um, but hopefully wherever you've put that money wasn't in directly expendable items that are just gone. You can either resell items or you can utilize those items yourself in the future. Um, but if you want to start strong in a market, really – getting out there, having conversations with restaurants, having conversations specifically for me in the event industry, having conversations with venues. I went more so on the slow, you know, have strong market penetration, like, and just be known first for quality before pricing. Um, I always wanted to be of good value for what we offer um, anywhere on the board. Um, and so I started a little slower. I would take what came in. I would get referrals from that. So your, my circle was small at first. Friends and family are a lot of those referrals. And this goes for almost any business you do. Friends and family are really what starts to get your name out there to their friends and families. Mm -hmm. um, and then as you start to do more, um, especially in the public sector or like in the special event sector where other people are watching you, um, they're going to see you and then they start to spread the word. Um, if you're already DJing at a venue, my goal was I never had a conversation about a preferred vendors list with any venue until they brought it up to me. I wanted to at least have a conversation and a relationship with them before I started to do that. But if you want to start a business right off the bat, it's if you so long as you come into the conversation right and so long as you know your business well, um, you can have those conversations earlier on than I chose to have. But what it did do is it allowed a very strong, deeply rooted business within Lancaster County and the surrounding areas. So I don't find myself traveling out as often because there's enough outsourcing. I say outsourcing like there's enough venues in the area and we outsource clients to our area um, or like we bring in clientele from other areas. So like Jersey, Maryland, Delaware, New York. They're coming to Lancaster County because we have venues that meet their medium to top tier grade venues um, at a price that are their medium to low end venues mm. because their price points are like so much higher for venues. Our price points in some areas are reaching those price points, but we still have a huge number of venues that have been built, created specifically for special events. Um, and, um, so we've, yeah, we import a decent amount of weddings. So there's a lot in this area. I do DJ Maryland, Delaware, Virginia, West Virginia, you know, New York and stuff like that. But the majority of our events are within, I would say Lancaster County, York County, Harrisburg and Hershey. Um, that's where, you know, that's where it's at. yeah, that's at least 80, at least 80% of our jobs are within York, Harrisburg, Hershey and Lancaster. Yeah, so especially being a DJ, the relationship is key between the venues and the clientele because that's that's literally your business is the relationship because they're not going to – I know so many people. My own aunt remembers her DJ for playing not the music that she wanted. <laughs> uh, what, what she wanted was she wanted all uh, eagles, all eagles. And what he did, he was like, oh, well – no, excuse me, sorry. She wanted Journey, and, and the DJ said, oh, well, Eagles down close to Journey, so they only played Eagles the entire time. The entire time? The entire time. That was an easy job. I know. <laughs> they were told to play one band, so there's nothing you can do to go outside of that. So that would have been, you had one job. Yeah, literally, literally one, one You job. had one job in that case, and that was just to play Journey. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's where paying attention to your client matters see their vision, hear their vision, and also just understand the crowd and then reading it, checking in with the client throughout. Um, relationship, you're right, is key. Relationship with vendors is key. So as a DJ or as a photographer, videographer, even caterers, um, absolutely, if you are a coordinator or a planner, and then the venue as well. Venues can sometimes be a little more like offset from the actual event day, depending on how much they allow the event to just happen without interaction. Mm. Um, caterers can sort of be on the back end, but you still have a good quality of service. Most events we do have bars. So that's where you have 
bartenders who have conversations with clients regularly. Hire the right staff for that. Don't put somebody who's a better server, good at putting out food and good at you know seeing things on tables that need to be done. Um, don't put them on the bar if they don't have that ability to have a conversation, have a good personality with that. So personality matters a ton. And personality matters if you think about even in the trades, mm-hmm. construction as well. If somebody comes in, they look professional, they put booties on their feet before they walk into your house instead of walking in with their boots right onto your carpet, um, there is a huge difference. As soon as you see that respect, that starts to build trust. Um, And so respecting venues, I come, because I had a construction background, I come with that perspective. I'm pushing large gear through doors, you know, standard doors. Not all doors are 36 inch doors or larger. You know, some are just a standard man door, and you have to be able to get through these doors um, without damaging anything, period. Um, And so just understanding, like, how do you respect a venue space? How do you then also respect the authority that a planner has throughout the day? What can you do to emphasize or to enforce what they want? How do you facilitate what timeline they've created throughout the day? Um, and then for photographers and videographers, not all like sometimes they're shooting details elsewhere. They're not always in the room mm-hmm. and they don't have somebody. They're not always hiring. Nobody's really hiring somebody to sit in the room and say, you know, radio them in and say, hey, they need you in the room. Um, you don't have somebody dedicated for that. And so just as a DJ, don't start an event before the people who are in the room who need to capture it are in the room. Um, because if you're finding them after you've already announced the event, then they're running in, scrambling, setting up lights if they need to for a specific area, if it's cake cutting or special dances, that type of thing. Yeah, and on the inverse, if if there's ever a moment that happens, for example, I was at, I was at a wedding and uh, we just happened to play an older song because a, a lot of the younger crowd had, had gone outside to do drinks or whatever. And so it was a bunch of the older crowd left just eating and talking. So we put on a Frank Sinatra song, a slow dance. And we got a lot of the elder uh, couples, like the the older family, dancing together. And the photographer just wasn't didn't happen to be there. And that's not really a regular planned event. But that was the only time that they were out to dance. So I, and what I did was I decided, you know what, I'll take some pictures because I know the 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 bride and groom are really going to appreciate having those you know memories be uh, being photographed. Yeah. And just it's going the extra step, really. Uh, with DJing, uh, I used to get the bride and groom uh, whatever drink they wanted. Uh, I used to go around and ask ask them specifically if they wanted a song being played or whatever. Just white glove stuff like that that puts you apart from the rest. It does. It makes an impression. Um, if you go down through our reviews, uh, I've I've offered drinks to brides and grooms before, and it's made it into the reviews, um, meaning that it matters. It made an impression. And so doing what you can do to make the event a success is, is so important. And realizing that sometimes that means stepping out of what your typical job description mm-hmm. is. Um, to the DJs that just stay behind the booth, um, they're better fit for the clubs because you don't have to get out of your booth. You don't have to facilitate things um, as much. But you're still, I mean, they're still encouraging you know, drink sales. They're still encouraging the other things that they're doing. Um, and if there is anything special, they're, they're kind of like letting you know about that. Um, if there's anything unique that's about to happen, any special presentation, any special like act that's going to happen at a club or whatever. Um, but yeah, going, going that extra mile, working with the other vendors, um, being willing to help however you can. Uh, and just adjust yourself a little bit if you need to, to make it work for them. Yeah, even if there's like one person out on a dance floor, I what I what I did is I went out there and danced with them just to just to make sure that you know because if you're the only one dancing on a dance floor, it's a little awkward. So I was like, you know what, I'll go out there and dance with them, and we had a, a really fun time. And and that was one of the things that the bride and groom commented on. It's like, yeah, dude, uh, my aunt really just loved the fact that you went out there and danced with her, and th- that's just the moment that that made their night. Wasn't even the fact that they got married. But they they saw that their family was having and really enjoying themselves with the vendors. Yeah, and you, you took a, a special you know leeway in that sense uh, to, and you obviously did what was right for what was it a family that like did was it a family member that you knew of, or was it a direct no, it friend just, or how did you get that event? Oh, uh, that was through the company I was with. Okay, um, cool. Okay. So I, I didn't even know these people, yeah. but I, I just I noticed the situation and I was like, she's she's vibing out. 
and uh, kind of looking around, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go out there and join her, and then, you know, we just, we just had fun dancing together, and she was like, oh, that was so, I really, she was like an older woman, too, so yeah. she was just, I just needed that, and that was, that was what made the night for her, for at least her, and the bride and groom commented on it. Cool. So it's, it's doing stuff like that that you wouldn't really do all the time. It really sets yourself apart. Yeah. So we're kind of ending off our, our radio time here. What, uh, and we're, so we'll keep going on Facebook Live. What are some, where are some places that people can find you at? Yeah, simply guys, Facebook and Instagram are both DJ Mast Productions. Um, DJ, M-A-S-T, Productions. Uh, the website is djmast.com. If you are looking to have a special event, whether it's a wedding, corporate event, party, or formal, uh, you can contact us through our website, www.djmast.com slash contact is the actual direct link. Uh, there's a link right there when you go to our main website as well. You can click that. It's as simple to fill out your date, location that you're planning to have it, your name, and so forth. It's really simple. Um, Instagram and Facebook. It'd be awesome if you guys want to follow and just to see event stuff. We do live posts um, or st I should say story posts on the weekends when we're actually performing events. Um, and then you'll see stuff that I feel are better photos for, for actually posting on the wall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, check out what we do. See the types of events that we do. We do some events with lots of lighting. We do some events with less lighting or no lighting at all. Uh, we do ceremonies, cocktail hours, and receptions. We do, and what I said, corporate events, you know, private parties and things like that too. We get those in some, you know, family reunions. We do some birthdays. We do some larger um, you know, larger events in people's lives. That's awesome. Well, with all that said, uh, you can follow us on The Story uh, Podcast. You can follow us, just search up The Story, Corey Rosen, on all streaming platforms. That's C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N. You can also go to Facebook.com forward slash The Story, Corey Rosen. On Instagram, the underscore, underscore, wait a minute, the underscore story underscore podcast. I, I got to find a way to make everything one. Instead of spaces, they're underscores. Yeah. It's it's a little weird, but you can find us there. Uh, we're gonna take a five minute break and we're gonna play a song of mine. That's it's called "You Remain." It's a it's a Christian song that I wrote about two years back. And when everything was shutting down during during the the pandemic, I it's everything was fading away, everything was disappearing, and the only thing that really remained was God. And that's just a reminder to myself and everybody else that when all things fade away, it is God that remains. With all that said, this is "You Remain" by me. speak you are there right beside me when all hope is lost and i can't bear the cost you are there paying it for me and when things turn to dust and there's nothing to trust you are there honest to me Oh, it's clear who you're meant to be. You are my strength. You are my faith. When all things fade away, you.
that was my song, You Remain. If you want to listen to our conversation, we're going to keep going on the Facebook.com forward slash the story, Corey Rosen. And with all that said, I, we're going to get you guys back to the radio.